are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns, episode 129. Um, when we recorded last night, obviously we, uh, you know, I was with Jordan Zerm. We did the, you know, the whole fallout, you know, with obviously Sashi being relieved of his duties, and you know, not any sooner did I go ahead, cut it up, set it up to have a new GM named in place. Not nearly ten minutes after we put it out, um, obviously I, I, I like the hire. Uh, you know, I, I was a fan of Sashi. I did not understand moving on from him. Uh, you know, the excuses are going to come out today. Uh, you know, you know, Hugh Brown, I mean, Hugh Jackson is still here because he didn't, you know, have enough talent. I'm not going to buy that. Uh, Sashi in the front office in place, they were getting the job done. They were overturning a terrible roster. And through year two of three, through the offseason and the draft and all that stuff, there was significant progress being made. But, you know, obviously John Dorsey brought in. But, you know, it is what it is, and here's where we are, and I don't want to lament too much more on that. I just want to get back more to the positives of this franchise. I decided we'll still sneak in a draft episode this week. Uh, I was able to get uh, Jordan Reed from Climbing, uh, from climbing, the, climbing the Pocket, uh, does some draft work over at uh, Viking Territory, uh, you know, co-host the podcast, Climbing the Big Board. Uh, I know he's on a lot with Andy Carlson, so all you Minnesota Vikings fans, you know who Andy is. He does about 52 different sets of pods. But Andy's one of my boys, and I've heard Jordan on there a couple times, and I know he's some great work. Uh, Jordan, thanks for coming on tonight. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited. No, absolutely. And this is one thing, you know, I mean, you know, I try to – I want to branch out and get as many people on as I can. Uh, there were, you know, a lot of people who gave me an opportunity, you know, when I was first breaking into this in 14 and 15 and 16. So, you know, if anything, I always want to return the favor and be able to open up all avenues and hear, you know, not, not just hear the same voices all the time. Uh, before we even get in, I'm going to ask you about your Vikings. You know, we'll get to some draft talk. But look, man, we're both Florida State guys. Uh, it's crazy how it went down, uh, you know, you know, the change being made. But look, Jimbo's had eyes and looked at other avenues, looked to other venues for a while. And, you know, this time, I mean, I get, he just got himself the offer that he could not refuse. Yeah, and I mean... We always talk about coaches leaving for the money, and Jim. I always thought Jimbo was the one guy I didn't think would leave for greener pastures, if they, just to put it in layman's terms. Well, one type of green, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but just talking about his replacement, Willie Taggart, I'm really excited about it, and he seems like he really wants to be a part of the Florida State family, and that's something that Florida State really hasn't had since Bobby Bowden, um, since he stepped down. Taggart is a a Florida guy. He has Florida ties. Um, he was once at South Florida, dominated recruiting there, and really turned that program around. And that's what Willie Taggart is all about. He's a guy that can turn around programs instantly, and he's really going to try to put a fence around the state of Florida with recruiting. Um, he has great guys already on the team. Um, I'm excited to see what he does with G- uh, DeAndre Francois, James Blackman, and that whole situation just to see how it pans out. But I mean, it was tough to see Jimbo leave, but it's hard to blame him. I mean, you give him $75 million guaranteed for the next 10 years, it's really hard to turn that down. Um, I kind of was upset at the way he left. I thought it was kind of unprofessional just because a lot of reports were saying that he hasn't been recruiting for the past month, which I thought was very unprofessional. But, I mean, it is what it is at this point. I'm really happy with the replacement that they got for Jimbo and Willie Taggart. Yeah, I mean, you know, first things first. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, even Jimbo divorced, but you got two kids 
at the end of the day, you've got people that you answer to regardless of who you are if you're a parent. And look, $75 million, you know, that's not Jimbo being set for life. That's his two young boys being set for life. You know, yes, <laughs> they're going to go to school and all that stuff, but you want to know what? He puts his pillow, head to the pillow every night knowing you want to know what? God takes me, you know, in two years. My boys are set for life. Uh, I think what what the thing that started to irk me with Jimbo towards the end was it was always, you know, Florida State Seminoles head football coach Bobby Bowden. And over the last couple of years here and after Jimbo getting the national championship so early in his career, it became, you know, Jimbo Fisher, head coach of the Florida State Seminoles. And that's the part that kind of always, that was the part that slowly started to turn me off is, it, it, you know, people wanted to carry, and I think Jimbo wanted to carry himself like he was bigger than the man he replaced. And you weren't. You were given a great job that had fallen on tough times, and everybody, oh, well, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Look, Miami's coming out of tough times right now. Florida right now is in an absolute tailspin. Regardless, you know, a lot of these, even the upper echelon programs, they're going to go through some tough times where, you know, you're going to have to change some things to keep it spicy. You know, kids won't just come for the name anymore. There's got to be something else that you're going to attract them to. And, you know, I think that's, you know, I think Jimbo kind of got, you know, kind of lost in that and just, you know, thought his name was, you know, had more clout than the university's program. Willie, that's not going to happen. Now, you know, you keep in mind, you know, he went down to coach against Florida State when he was out South Florida you know, gets off the bus. He's all excited to see his family. They're all decked out in Florida State gear. Like, look, man, we love you, bro, but, you know, your family, <laughs> your blood, but, uh, you know, yeah. this is where we're at. Um, yeah. I think he's he's going to do fantastic here. Um, the difference between him and Jimbo is, is Willie will do a ton of the recruiting himself. You know, Jimbo was lucky in the fact that, you know, he had good recruiting guys to do this. Willie's going to do this himself. You know, he'll, yeah. obviously the assistant coaches will do their part. But Willie is going to jump into this, and I think he's just going to eat it up. Uh, you know, as tough as it is to lose a guy of Jimbo Fisher's caliber, I think they turned around and you know and just nailed it by bringing in Willie here. And Oregon, look, I'm sorry, guys, this is the way it works. You know, people get poached; it's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, um, but I'm going to get absolutely. You know, I'm going to get to your to your Vikings. Uh, I, I don't think I'm that su- surprised with the success. I think I'm not surprised that the team is this successful and you're essentially playing your third string quarterback. Yeah. It's been a weird year, but a great year. And what I mean by that is every, a lot of people knew that we were going to be a pretty good football team, but nobody expected us to be this good. And I mean, it's just been how the Minnesota Vikings have always been. As far as the quarterback situation, it's just been so much turnover every single year since we've had Brett Favre, honestly, we really haven't had a solid starting quarterback. And I still don't think we do to this point just because nobody thought Case Keenum was going to play this well considering what he's been to this point in his career. I mean, let's be honest, he's been a career journeyman with the Houston Texans and with the L.A. Rams with uh, Jeff with Jeff Fisher. So, I mean, we signed him like a couple months before training camp. No one really expected him to even be on the roster at this point. He was really bought in to compete for the second spot with a guy named Taylor Heineke who I think is on the Patriots practice squad, I want to say. Um, he's kind of bounced around the league since the Vikings let him go after after the preseason. But, I mean, he's come in. He's been phenomenal. And 
it's just it's just been a weird but great season. That's the only way to describe it. The defense is lights out. Everybody knew the defense was going to play lights out just because that's how a Mike Zimmer coach team is going to be. It's going to be defense first, run the ball, and just get a quarterback that doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And that's what Case Keenum is doing right now. I mean, he's not doing anything overly great. He's just executing what's asked of him, and he's not turning the ball over. Um, and also, you keep in mind, you're, you, know, you don't have your number one running back. I mean, you know, Dalvin went out there, uh, was lighting it up early. Give me a couple of thoughts on that. Yeah, and, you know, that was some more adversity that we faced during the year. Uh, I think we were 2-2 two and two at the point when Dalvin went down. He went down in week four against the Lions, so we lost Sam Bradford. And then we lost Dalvin Cook, so everybody just thought the season was going to go in a tailspin after that. And, I mean, <laughs> we haven't lost the game since Dalvin went down, which nobody thought was even imaginable at the time. Dalvin was phenomenal. I know he was going to be a plug-and-play starter as soon as we drafted him, not only because he's a no, but, <laughs> I mean, I'm not being biased or anything, but um, I didn't have a lot of confidence in Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon. I didn't think he was more than a scat back. And Dalvin has proven throughout his college career that he can be that bell cow guy and he can be that franchise running back. And he was proven to be that early on, you know, just a shade over 300 rushing yards during his time playing, which was really good. He just burst onto the scene, especially that Monday night game in week one against the Saints. So I'm really looking forward to getting him back. But Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon have done a great job in his absence. Oh, they've done absolutely fantastic. Um, and it was it was tough seeing them go down. I mean, you know, I was out. You know, somebody sent me the video. I mean, literally just – I literally tossed my – I was at actually at a kid's birthday party. Literally tossed my phone across the room. My wife was like, what is wrong with you? I was like, just don't even ask. Just don't ask. Not now. <laughs> But uh, wow. that was that was one of the places which was perfect for him because you know look you know I mean Dalvin did have some distractions obviously you know he's he's got some people who he's tight with you know that you know maybe don't always you know walk the right path so we needed to get away from Florida and go into a place yeah. like Minnesota where it was just one hundred percent worry about ball you're in a small city you're not gonna you know get caught up in you know the big lights any of that stuff it was all just looking so perfect but I'm happy to see the team is still succeeding I do have one question here actually this is from a listener. What is going to go on with this Vikings quarterback position during the offseason? Because, I mean, now you're talking about, you know, three guys that everybody's kind of looking like, well, if one of those guys get out of there, I got some interest. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't think they even know at this point, honestly. Everyone was saying, you know, Teddy coming back from injury, everyone thought Teddy Bridgewater was going to be that franchise guy. And I still think they view him as that. But Case Keenum's success has kind of thrown a wrench into this whole equation just because we really don't know if this is the real Case Keenum or not, just because he really hasn't been surrounded with adequate weapons in his career to this point. I mean, we all know he didn't have any receivers with the Rams and the Texans didn't have any good receivers at the time when he was there. So now he's surrounded with adequate weapons of Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen in a good running game and, you know, an above average offensive line and maybe this is the best equation for him, or is this the real Case Keenum? We really don't know. And, yes, Teddy Bridgewater is back, and he's been the backup to this point, but we don't know. He's a big question mark at this point. Is this, is, excuse me, he's a big question mark at this point, too, just because of his knee injury. We don't know how well he's going to play coming off the knee. And, I mean, if you let Sam Bradford go and you let Case Keenum go and Teddy proves not to be that guy he was before his knee injury, now you're back at square one all over again looking for a quarterback. So I really don't know if they even know what they want to do at the quarterback situation right now. But, I mean, we don't have anybody signed. 
in 2018 right now. So it's going to be definitely interesting to see how they address the quarterback situation going forward. Yeah, no, there's definitely, uh, you know, it, it could turn out to be actually a pretty decent free agent class of QBs this year, which is something we do not see a lot. Guys, you're listening to Locked On Browns, episode 129. Remember, guys, one of our newer sponsors here is uh, PlayDraftDraft.com. I do have a couple of leagues set up through the Locked On Browns account. If you do PlayDraft.com, go ahead, jump into those. Uh, by all means, it's a lot of fun. You know, you go uh, pick five players, quick snake draft style. It's always a fun style to do. You know, I like it. You know, a lot of people, you know, this time of year, fantasy-wise, you may be done and out. But, you know, hey, look, here's a chance to maybe, you know, win, win yourself back a couple of bucks before Christmas. So, moving on, we are going to get to the draft here. Uh, Jordan, now, he, the thing that made this Browns gig for me so appealing is the fact of the amount of draft capital here. You know, us draft guys, it's, it's never too early. It's never too late. Uh, you know, day, night, morning, weekends, we want to talk about it. So, um, six picks in the top 65. There's still a lot of work to be done here in Cleveland. Um I guess I'm going to say it's going to have to be quarterback at one. Uh, we're starting to see these guys start to separate themselves a little bit here. Uh, who you like right now? Who's your top dog? Yeah, Josh Rosen is my QB1 right now, and I think he's distanced himself from the others at this point. Yes, I know he hasn't put up the offensive output that a Lamar Jackson or a Baker Mayfield has put up to this point, but as far as traits and just the measurables that he has right now, and the one thing that I love about Josh Rosen and why I think he's a great fit for Cleveland, he's a very, very confident prospect. And I think the quarterback curse that the Browns have, I think if there's one prospect that thinks they can break or crack the code to the quarterback curse in Cleveland, I think it's Josh Rosen. And you just put him or add him into the equation with a David Njoku, a Josh Gordon, a Corey Coleman and that, you know, retooled offensive line, I really think you have your quarterback of the future in Josh Rosen if you take him at number one. I think if you just sit down and watch the throwing of these guys, what Josh Rosen can do, and, you know, look, I mean, we're getting to excuse season, you know, for guys that some guys like, you know, oh, well, he doesn't play with a lot of people. He doesn't play with a lot of people. Well, Josh Rosen's not playing with much. I mean, come on, guys. So everybody just, you know, beat that point. Uh the one thing that I read today, and actually I never really put two and two together, and this is also something I really never put two and two together with Odell Beckham, as much as I loved him, was the fact that he grew up playing soccer, which you saw the ridiculous you know, footwork with Odell with his running of patterns. You know, Josh Rosen was a tennis player for a long time. Yeah. So yeah. They're, they're bringing a lot into it now and mentioning about you know, the footwork that he learned from tennis and getting those, you know, all his weight and you know, body weight in position for one quick, you know, and, it, it, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, this is stuff, you know, more and more as the years go on, we got to look at, you know, you, you know, you want to see any young athlete play multiple sports because it all translates. I mean, as far as, you know, any athletic ability, it's going to translate over into one. I mean, the more you do it, the better practice. So that was an interesting read that I saw here today. Um, he's going to be my guy. He's the guy I absolutely want them to take. You know, Baker Mayfield, I can be talked into – but I need something. I mean, at least give me plus hand size. Give me something on Baker Mayfield that I can sleep at the end of the night knowing I'm putting my faith in a quarterback who's not even six foot one tall, you know? Right, exactly. And, you know, just going back on Rosen, the thing I find really interesting on him was not only was he a tennis player, he actually was the number one ranked tennis player in Southern California. A lot of people don't know that. And Which that's means where you he, play tennis. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. He was very highly successful at it. And 
it translates. And you can tell just because his mechanics are really flawless. And you see that on film. His feet are always tied to his eyes. And what I mean by that is when he's going through his progressions and when he sets his feet to throw, everything just looks in sync. And he does it exactly how you coach it to do. I kind of compare it to a shortstop when he's fielding a ground ball. You always want to see him square his chest or square his shoulders right to first base. And that's what you see always with Rosen. He always ties his feet to his eyes and his front toe is always pointing towards his target and his mechanics are just really good and that's one of the things that really makes me love josh rose yeah for me it's not close and then and even when you watch the the ucla usc game it was just like you know i mean because you know oh the build up the two quarter and it was like by by mid-second quarter it was like man you guys you yeah. guys tried to build this up you guys tried to yeah. sell it. and i like <laughs> sam i do i like sam i think he's got the mind but he's got that funky motion, and the feet are a little sloppy. So if the feet aren't perfect, the arm drops even further. Then the ball yeah. sails. You know, but you know, regardless, you know, Sam looks like he's staying. He said he's staying. We'll see. You know, that's you know, different story, different day. Um, I'm also we're going to need a running back here in Cleveland. Uh, Isaiah Crowell. Uh, you came out about week two when he was averaging about 2.7 yards per carry. And decided to tell the media that, you know what, yeah, I'm really concerned about my contract extension. Which you don't really want to do when you're averaging 2.7 yards a pop. Um, so I think he kind of sank his battleship <laughs> in that regard. Um, Duke Johnson, certainly a serviceable guy. A certain, you know, a, a very good part of a running back, you know, whether it's a duo, whether it's a trio. So much talk here. You know, it's Barkley, it's Geis, you know, uh, Ronald Jones. Give me some thoughts on a couple guys you like here at the running back position. I really like Ronald Jones for the Browns. You're talking about, you know, a typical zone scheme running back. And the one thing I really like about Ronald Jones is that he doesn't have a lot of tread on his tires. This is really the first year where he's been USC's bell cow guy and still very young, only 20 years old. It'll actually be 20 when the drive rolls around. So he's very Alvin Kamara-like as far as age and not a lot of wear and tear on his tires. So, that's one of the biggest reasons why I like Ronald Jones. Another guy I really like for the Browns is Darius Geis. Um, I think he'll be there in the top ten, but I don't think that they have to take him in the top ten. I think they can trade back if they do. So choose to take a running back. But I really would like them to wait and not take a running back in the first round just because I'm one of those guys that doesn't believe you have to take a running back in the first round. I know everyone's saying they want Saquon Barkley really early, but – this is a really deep running back draft. I don't think they have to pressure themselves into taking, you know, a Darius Geis or Saquon Barkley in the first round. I think they can sit back and wait on a guy like a Ronald Jones or they already have a scat back. But another guy that I would like um, is Akron Wiley for them from Iowa. So there's a lot of options in this draft at running back. So I really would like them to wait until that second or third round, especially with them having so many picks. I know it sounds crazy because, you know, and the, and the Cleveland guys, these guys get nuts with the trick. But if you're going to go Rosen at one and you can't get Minka Fitzpatrick with the Houston pick, you may as well entertain the thought of dropping that pick down a little bit and, and trading out of there a little bit because what's everybody going to be trading up for? Most likely quarterbacks. So Absolutely. why would you stay there if you've already got yours? You know, and, and yes, they need another pass rusher, but you've got your two starting defensive ends. So, you don't need a pass rusher. At, I mean, it, it, the dream is those two. If you can't get Minkie with the second pick, yeah, you, you kind of got to entertain maybe dropping out of there a few spots because people are going to you know pay a premium price for that. 
Uh, wide receiver position, it's look, everybody, we all want the 14 class to come back again where it was extremely deep and, you know, a lot of hits. It's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, I think we, as we get further and further away from the 14 class, I just more and more I see how special it truly was. Um, you know, Calvin Ridley is my top dog here. A bunch of you know, there's a bunch of guys here, and I think they can, they're going to be serviceable and stuff like that. But give me a thought or two, uh, you know, on guys you like outside of Ridley. Yeah, and I completely agree. I don't think there's a lot of star power at receiver or guys that can be number one go-to guys in this receiver class. If there was one, I completely agree with you. I think that'd be Calvin Ridley. <clears throat> um, everyone is talking about Cortland Sutton. Um, I don't think he can be a future number one guy. Um, I like Sutton, but I have questions about his suddenness and his ability to separate. So, and we've seen that, you know, with the Quan Treadwell, who <laughs> my Vikings drafted last year, a couple of years I ago. He's I learned a lot, I learned a lot by getting burned by Laquan. Yeah, yeah, and I'm the same way. He was my wide receiver one that year, so <clears throat> and I learned from that mistake that I made with Treadwell and. A lot of people are really hesitant when making that mistake with Cortland Sutton. Um, another guy that I really love, and he's actually my wide receiver too, is Anthony Miller from Memphis. Um, he's a guy that I really like. He was a former walk-on at Memphis, and he went on to break every single record that Isaac Bruce, Isaac Bruce used to hold. Um, so that's just a credit to his success and his hard work. And he's a guy that not very tall. He's only about 5'11", 190 pounds, but he's very compact built. He plays very strong, has a humongous catch radius. So he'll never be a number one guy, but you talk about complimenting him with a guy like Josh Gordon. I think he could be perfect for that. Um, I think he's better than Corey Coleman as a prospect just because okay. he, has much be he has much better hands and he just plays big. He plays like he's 6'2", 6'3", even though he's 5'11". He's not as fast or as twitchy as Corey Coleman, but he he's a much better natural route runner and a much better receiver than Corey Coleman is. I can see that. And see, the thing here is, is you know, wide receiver is going to have to be, uh, you know, something that's premium is spent on for the for the Browns. Uh, as fantastic as Josh is, and as ridiculous as Josh Gordon is, you know, your best ability is your availability, and Josh Gordon. You know, as fantastic as he is, is a, a flick of the switch from being gone from the NFL forever. Corey Coleman, you know, he's he's played well in the time that he's been healthy, but the problem is, is he's been less healthy than he's been healthy. So, I mean, you could turn around and within two weeks, all of a sudden, you're down to wide receiver three and four as one and two, and that changes the ball game a ton. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think they have to reach for a receiver but i think they'd be wise to take one probably in the second or third round just because i don't think john dorsey can go into the offseason counting on josh gordon being there in 2018 and beyond just because i mean we can't really trust him at this point yes i know he's cleaned his act up to this point but like you said he's a mistake away from being gone from the league completely so i think they should enter this offseason as if josh gordon doesn't really exist and they still should address the receiver position but it doesn't necessarily have to be early on yeah and that's why i, I kind of been stressing uh because it looks like we may get a decent free agent wide receiver class too it almost might even be better to address it with a free agent where at least you're bringing in a veteran because the last thing you want to do with some 21 year old kid who you drafted and said look you're going to be a part of this you know we're going to fit you in we're going to groom you and then god forbid you know josh is gone and now you got some 20 year old 21 year old kid you said look we're grooming you 
And now all of a sudden, hey, we ain't grooming you. You got to go out and catch ninety-five passes. So <laughs> right. it might be it might be easier to do that with a veteran. If you know, obviously, because look, you still ain't paying Josh Gordon nothing. Corey Coleman's still on his rookie deal. So I mean, you might as well have somebody you know to to make some money. But it gives you an insurance blanket, but it also gives you a ridiculous three wide receiver set if it all does work out for you. Right, definitely. And I mean, I haven't really been tracking the Browns very closely. Are they really utilizing Njoku as a receiver, or he's kind of been playing out of position? A part of the problem was uh, it was t- the blocking wasn't there yet, so that was costing him reps. Because part of the problem was is is when he was coming out of the fields, it was quite obvious it was a passing situation. Last few weeks, the blocking is starting to come around. Look, he is going to be a full time serviceable tight end. He's going to be a Gronkowski. He's going to be a Kelsey where he can do it all, and him being on the field is not going to throw anybody off. He's 21 years old. Kid's a punk. Yeah. He was a high school wide yeah. receiver. It's just yeah. taking a little time. Um, you know, should he have played a little more? Absolutely. I mean, good Lord, he ain't won a damn game. You might as well get the 21-year-old kid on the field. Right, but, right. You know, but sometimes, you know, look, I mean, there's going to be people who say, oh, he didn't play enough, and then there's going to be people who say, oh, well, maybe you rushed him. But, you know, look, he's, he's got over 300 yards receiving. He's got four touchdowns to this point. That's a nice get your feet wet yeah. for a twenty-one-year-old kid, and you Absolutely. know, most important thing, stayed healthy, he's played every week, um, and you have Deval, so I mean, you're good there, tight end position-wise. Uh, I'm going to hit here a little bit uh, defensively. What I'm thinking here is, regardless, they are going to need, and maybe you can give me a name here that you like. And, you know, I've got Miles Garrett, I've got Emmanuel Agba, I've got the perfect set of DNs here. I have got the no-nonsense, you-can't-stop-me-unless-you-bring-three-pass-rusher-in-Miles-Garrett. I've got Emmanuel Ogba on the other side, who, before he broke his foot, was tied for second among defensive linemen in the NFL for tackles at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. Perfect duo. But here's what I'm going to need. I'm going to need, and I don't care if he does a lick against the run game, give me a guy you like who can just straight up get to the backfield. Uh, as an edge rusher, there's a guy in Oklahoma, Agba Neal Okoronkwo from Oklahoma. Yeah, um, it's funny. Kind of, it's funny. A lot of guys, he's the one guys keep bringing up. Yeah. Yeah. He's a really good player. He puts you in the mind of a D4 type of rusher. Um, looks very uncomfortable dropping back in coverage, but he's a guy that can just completely get to the quarterback. Has a bevy of pass rushing moves. Um, if you want to go back, go watch him versus Texas, Oklahoma versus Texas. He was a friggin' assassin in that game. He was all over the field. And the one thing that really stands out about him is his motor. It's flaming hot the entire game. And that's what you love to see out of a young pass rush, just because you can't teach effort. But the one thing you can teach, you can sharpen those pass rushing tools that he has. And, you know, you can teach the coverage standpoint of it. But he's most comfortable rushing the passer and i think that's something the browns would really love and he's something that would, he's somebody that would really interest them all right now we have uh two more major needs on this browns defense greg williams loves him some deep middle of the field free safety but the problem is there ain't a guy on this roster can even come close to playing that anybody you got in mind you think can handle that yeah, so this is not a great draft for those center field safeties like a Malik Hooker from last year. There really isn't a lot of those guys in this draft, but there's one guy that does stand out amongst this class, and his name is Jordan Whitehead. 
from Pitt. Had some off-the-field problems. He was suspended for the first few games this year, but ever since he's come back, he's completely transcended or transformed that Pitt defense. And I think he's your typical middle-of-the-field middle safety that can just play center field and just erase mistakes that cornerbacks make. So Jordan Whitehead from Pitt, keep your eye on him. And you know what's actually kind of interesting is uh, we talked some about him with you know other Browns guys, and they were we're not really sure the reason of the suspension, obviously, but that's something the Sashi regime he may have been a guy that might not have jived with their board due to that. But now mm-hmm. John Dorsey's here. John Dorsey drafted Tyreek Hill. John yeah. Dorsey drafted Marcus Peters. So that's going to kind of change some things there, whether or not you know. Now, is a guy on the board? Is a guy not on the board? When you look at you know some of the guys at John Dorsey, and look, what Tyreek Hill did, unoffensible. But look, since that, since he's gotten his opportunity, he's been okay. But there is the opposite. Marcus Peters still having his struggles. I mean, tossed a you know penalty flag in the fifteenth row last <laughs> Sunday. So, uh, guys, Locked On Browns episode one twenty nine. Uh, you know, obviously still Packers week. Go ahead, check out Locked On Packers. Uh, my buddy Peter Pukowski. Uh, I joined him the other night for one of those episodes. Anything you need over there, check out Locked On Packers. Peter does a great job. One other thing I'm going to need, I'm definitely going to need a long-term potential QB1. Jason McCourty has been fantastic since he's brought over, but I can't kid myself, he's 30 years old. Jamar Taylor, he's played well in spurts, but I don't even, I'm not positive he's even the second-best quarterback on this team. The, corner, the nickel cornerback, Brian Body Calhoun, fantastic. Fantastic player, yeah. PFF darling. The guy just week in, week out brings it. But I'm going to need a future one here. Who are a couple of your favorites? How about keeping this guy in state? How about Denzel Ward from Ohio State? I think he's a fantastic corner. Uh, he's actually the second-ranked corner on my board right now behind Joshua Jackson from Iowa. But Denzel Ward, shorter corner, but he plays big. Fantastic hips. Fluid, fluid hips. Um, great technique. Has great ability to mirror receivers. Your true man-to-man cover corner. I think he'd be a fantastic fit for the Browns. Um, has some struggles tackling. That's really his biggest flaw right now. But as far as coverage ability and being able to stick with receivers and man-to-man coverage, I think he is your guy. All right. Now, now here, here's a couple, here's here's what I'll do, and I I do like that. What is does uh, the, does the turnovers put Jackson ahead for you? I love his length and I love his upside and a lot something that a lot of fans don't know about Josh Jackson is he's only been playing corner for two years. He was a converted receiver. So I love his upside just because he's new to the position and he's balling out like he has been already. So I love his upside. I love his length at 6'1", 195 pounds as opposed to 5'10", and around 185 or 190 pounds for Denzel Ward. So I love both of them, but I just like Joshua Jackson's upside and his length better than Denzel Ward. Yeah, see, one of the things for me though is is you show me cornerback play, and you know, and this is you know McFadden was an example of this last year with the play down at Florida State. Obviously, it dropped this year. Is Matt? You know, you show me a cornerback who's going to turn the ball over. That, that's you know for me that's going to it's going to jump a guy. It's going to jump a guy a lot, and, and that, you know, you've seen that with Jackson this year. Uh, before we let you go here, Jordan, give me and this ain't even got to be a position. Give me. You know, three, four, five names we didn't bring up here tonight, but a couple of guys that are Jordan, Jordan guys. A couple of guys on your board that man, you know you're already going to pound a table for. Well, one I think 
a lot of people have kind of forgotten about him just because he was hurt this season. And that's Jair Alexander from Louisville. Thank I you. Think, I think he's a he's my draft crush this year, man. And he's been under the radar this year for whatever reason. I know he's been hurt, but when he's on the field, he is fantastic, man. He reminds me so much of Jason Verrett when he came out of TCU. I actually think he's better than Verrett. The biggest question is just his long-term durability. That's the biggest question with Jair Alexander. But when he's on the field, man, he's an amazing talent. Um, he, plays, only sit- he plays with such an attitude at the cornerback position. I love it. Yes, I love I love defensive backs who have that alpha mentality. Like yeah, Marcus bring it. Peters. Throw yes. it to me 35 times a game. Bring it. Yes, I, I'm good, and I'm going to let you know that I'm good. That I love defensive backs that play like that. Um Staying with defensive backs, another guy that I really like is safety Ronnie Harrison from Alabama. Yep. He's another guy that's a tone setter. He's in your face. He's nasty. And I just love his mentality. Outside of Minka, he's the leader in that secondary, and he's just a tone setter. I love safeties that are tone setters. He reminds me a lot of Ha Ha Clinton Dix when he was coming out of Alabama. Of just that alpha mentality. Not a guy that can consistently play man-to-man coverage, but if you're asking him to be that extra box safety or the extra linebacker in the box, I think he's a guy that can really help you out. Um, another guy that I like, we already brought him up, is Calvin Ridley, so I won't go in depth about him. But you guys don't really need a tight end, but I still want to give this guy some spotlight or some shine. I like Dallas Godair, the tight okay. end from South Dakota State. He's another one of my guys. Reminds me a lot of Zach Ertz from the Philadelphia Eagles. So he's another one of my guys. Um, I'm trying to think of some positions the Browns need. Need some corners, huh? We talked, about corners? Tavar- we talked about Tavares McFadden. I think somebody's going to take a chance on McFadden. And he kind of had a down year this year. Well, not kind of. He had a really down year this year but for whatever reason. I, it kind of was think, puzzling. Look, everything, in, everything in Tallahassee, you know, losing to Bama was one thing. Walking out yeah. of that game, knowing you didn't have Francois anymore. I mean, you know, I feel for these guys, you know, I feel for Nande. I feel for these guys who, you know, already knew that they were probably going pro at the end of this year. You you kind of really saw where the season was going to head, you know, was headed once, you know, DeAndre went down towards the end of that game. You know, and all these guys, they're, they're going to take a hit in the draft. In the draft, you know, Derwin's even going to take a hit. You know, guys still say in top 10, look at this, I mean, Really, really fantastically awesome strong safety. Still yeah. top ten. Top. I, I mean, there's, these guys are going to take some hits, and it sucks, but that, it's going to happen. Yeah, it is. I completely agree. Just because of the type of year that they had, and you know, Derwin Stock has kind of slipped a little bit, just because, like we talked about, the turmoil and turnover at Florida State, his stock kind of took a hit. A lot of people were saying he didn't really rebound from that knee injury, like a lot of people had hoped. But I mean. It's, his, it's only his second full season in college, guys. He yeah. missed his whole season last year out with a knee injury, and a lot of people were expecting him coming back to be Sean Taylor for whatever reason. I'm not sure why he was getting that hype, but I just think the expectations were insurmountable for him, and I still thought he had a good year personally. Um, of course, he's not going to live up to the hype of being Sean Taylor. I mean, Sean Taylor was a freaking generational talent. I'm not sure why people were comparing him to Sean Taylor, but I still think Derwin James is going to be a tremendous NFL player. No, I agree. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, I tell you what, we could use a swing tackle. Anybody you like? Yeah, I like Martinez Rankin from Mississippi State. 
He's a guy I think can play all five positions along the offensive line. And he was Mississippi State's first all-SEC offensive lineman in 10 years. He actually was a JUCO transfer last year in 2016. Got off to a rough start, but got better as the season went on last year. And he was just a freaking stud this year. Still kind of flowing under the radar. He's getting second or third round hype right now. But he's been invited to the senior bowl, and I expect him to blow up. He's got a chance to go make his money down there. Absolutely. Jordan, thanks so much for your time here this evening, buddy. I appreciate it. No problem, man. Thanks for having me on anytime. And we'll talk some draft here before uh, we hit April, buddy. Don't you worry about that. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Jordan Reed. uh, Guys, check out the work. He does fantastic. I'm telling you right now, uh, guy who's over the 6,000 follower mark, I guarantee you he'll be closer to 10K by come April. Trust me. Reed's work. Guy uh, works hard, does a really, really good job, and, you know, pretty accurate with his analysis and seems to be hitting some home runs here. Appreciate your time here tonight, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. Locked on Browns, episode 129. Everybody, help yourself. A great evening. We'll talk to you tomorrow.